chapter 4. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV translation. Because I know when they got, when whoever's preaching up here, I always like to match the translation they're reading. So I'm trying to scramble and figure out, okay, is that NIV? Is that New American Standard? Is that? So I'm telling you, okay? It's NIV. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we're just grateful to you for what you're doing in our midst, in our lives, in our families, in this church family. And we could, we continue to surrender our hearts to you, to cooperate with you, to allow you to have your way. We thank you for what you're doing this morning. And we say more, more, Father. We don't want to stay the way we are, but we want to change. We want to become more like you, Jesus. And we want to walk in the fullness and everything that you've made available for us to walk in. We want to walk in the fullness of our calling. We want to complete our assignment that you've given us. So that when we're done, when we face you, we can hear a well done. That's what our heart's cry is, Father, is to hear a well done, my good and faithful servant. So we ask that you'd open our ears and our hearts today to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And we thank you for the grace that will enable us to apply and appropriate your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me deliver your message. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just going to share some thoughts. I feel like the Holy Spirit encouraged me this week as I was asking him what his word was for the body today. I'm just going to share from my heart out of here, uh, maybe give you an idea of maybe the direction of where we're going as a church. So let's start with verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. First of all, who is he talking to? Because he's talking to people, he says, you've received a calling, so I want to encourage you to live worthy of that calling. And so my question was, who is he talking to? Who is Paul talking to in this verse? If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, at the beginning of the letter, you can see that he's talking to the church, the body of Christ, the Holy One, the saints. He's talking to you and me. So understand, he's saying to you and to I, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So guess what? You have received a calling. Would you say this after point to yourself and say, I have received a calling. Say it again with conviction. Okay, because we want to establish one thing. Every born-again person has a calling. Okay? Because see what happens, the reason why I'm trying to make this point clear, and I've said this before and I will continue to say this, is because we believe that the, there's a chosen few or certain people that have been called. And we need to understand that if Jesus is yours and you belong to Him, if you're born again, you have been called. You have been given a ministry. Okay? Are we together on that? Now say it with conviction. Come on now. 
We have to be convinced that I have a calling. And see, everybody will say, well, of course, CJ, you have a calling. You're the preacher. Yes, I have a calling just like you have a calling, but my calling is going to be different from yours. It's going to look different. But we all have a calling that's just as valuable to God. My calling is not more significant than your calling. I want to hear a louder amen than that. My calling is not more significant and it's not more important. It plays a function, a role in the kingdom of heaven. But all of our callings, all of our assignments are just as important to Jesus. Okay? So I want you to remember your calling, your purpose, you are important to him. You are important to him. So Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are you? Are you living worthy of the calling? Are you living in a way that you are pursuing what God has for you? Are you pursuing effectiveness in the calling that he has for you? Or are you just living for yourself? You know, in America, because persecution hasn't happened yet on the scale that it happens in other parts of the country, you know, because in other parts of the country, just saying, yes, I'm a Christian can get you killed. Or in prison. That, for the most part, doesn't happen here in the United States, right? Not yet. But because of that, because we have freedom, and thank God for our freedom. I love this country. Amen? I appreciate the men and women that are fighting for our freedom. I do. I love this country. But some of the weaknesses are because we have freedom, it can cause us to be lax. And it causes us to be lukewarm. And we can have a society where we, we're concerned about so many things that we get distracted from what life is really about. You see, if your life is on the line every day and any day you can get discovered that you're a Christian and be killed, you tend to take your walk with Jesus a little bit more seriously. Would you agree with that? But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to wait for persecution to come before we get serious about Jesus. We don't have to. If we just fall in love with him and spend time with him daily and let him deal with our hearts, we can be just as passionate for him, just as sold out, just as committed as a person whose life is on the line every day. I don't want to wait for persecution to get serious about him. I want to love him now. And so my question to you, are you living life worthy of the calling you have received? Verse 2, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do you guys remember in the New Testament and the Gospels, there was some man that said, I will build my church. Does anybody remember who that man was? I'm asking seriously. Who was it? Jesus, right. Jesus is building his church, right? And I believe that he has a way. He has a, he has a, a method, a way that he's going to build his church. Would you agree with that? 
I also believe that you and I have a way. He has a way and we have a way. But whose way is best? Whose way is more effective? I'm going to talk a little bit about his way that he's going to build his church for his kingdom. And right here in in verse 2, he says, be completely humble. So first he says, live a life worthy of the calling. And here's how. Here's what it looks like. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, this is in the context of relationships, right? If you're not in a relationship with other people, you really don't have to be gentle. You don't have to be patient. You don't have to be humble. You don't have to walk in love with other people if they're not around, right? So, obviously, he's talking in the context of relationship. This is how you need to conduct yourselves. This is the kind of attitude that you need to have. And why is this important? Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. Or putting up with each other. Why is that important? You know, it's just like you notice how in, throughout the Bible, when God would approach somebody, first thing he would say is, fear not. Why was he saying that? Because they were freaking out. Or they were about to. Or especially when he talked to Joshua, when Joshua was taken over, and he's about to, the first thing he kept saying to Joshua was, do not be afraid, fear not, fear not, fear not. Why? Because you're about to enter a situation where fear is going to have plenty of opportunity to grab a hold of your heart. So he's warning him, do not be afraid. I'm like, I'm not afraid right now. Well, <laughs> you're about to be. You're about to be challenged to where you can allow fear to grip your heart. And the same one right here, he's saying, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why? Because you're going to need to be. Because how many of you guys realize that, well, outside of this church, outside of this church, people aren't perfect. (laughs) Right? Well, if we have visitors, then that may kind of mess things up a little bit, but just kidding. But we realize that we're not perfect, correct? Correct? And do you realize that we all have our own ideas, our own methods, our own preferences, our own backgrounds, our own issues? Some of them can be pretty, pretty rough, pretty harsh. You know, some of us have rougher edges than the others, than others. But we're all part of His body. And as we're going to see in a little bit later, we need each other. For you to be effective in your calling, You need the person sitting next to you. The person sitting behind you or in front of you. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I found this interesting. First of all, we need to be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Then we need to make every effort to keep the unity. So why is he saying that? Because there's going to be a tendency for disunity. Would you agree with that? Unity may, you know, just because you attain unity, that doesn't mean you're going to keep it. You can be in agreement with your spouse at 5.05, and then at 5.07, something happened. Not in our house, of course, no. But right here he's saying you have to endeavor to keep the unity. If we think just coming and singing wonderful worship songs, 
is going to be what keeps the unity here, we're deceived. We have to endeavor. And the only way that's going to happen, only way verse 3 is going to happen is if we're walking in verse 2. Being completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Look down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. I find this interesting right here. We're familiar with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are we not? In 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 12. Or is it Romans 12? It's one of those books. I just had a blank. just went blank. like one of those that you'll find talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But right here, it's talking about the gifts of Jesus. Jesus gave gifts to the church, and then he names those gifts apostles, prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So remember who's building the church. Who, what was that guy's name again? He's building his church. He has a way for it to function, to develop. And then he gave gifts for that church to be developed, for that body of believers to be developed. And here are his gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the fivefold ministry, as we've come to call it, they are gifts to the church. Gifts to the church for this reason. Verse 12, to equip his people for the works of service or the ministry. And so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Jesus gave gifts, fivefold ministry, for the equipping of his people so that they do the work of the ministry. See, for so long, the church has kind of had it all messed up. See, the church, the people hire the pastors, they hire the missionaries, they hire the evangelists, they hire them so that they do the work. And then the church looks at the pastor and says, well, pastor, get to work. There's a lot of people to be reached. We're paying you for that. And it's like they have it backwards. The pastor or the evangelist, or the teacher, or the apostle or prophet, their job is to equip the saints so the saints do the ministry. Think of it. Which model is going to be more effective? The fivefold ministry doing all the ministry or the people of God doing all the ministry? I mean, just simple mathematics. Which one makes sense? Which one do we not do? Now speaking, generally speaking, over the church, you know, people. So Jesus gave gifts to the body, fivefold ministry, for the purpose of equipping his people for the works of service. And so that the body may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. 
And we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, as I was thinking about this, there was a statement that um, Bill Johnson said a few days ago. Well, he said, I don't know when he said it. I was listening to his sermon a, a while back. And if I can remember the quote, he said something, something to the effect that divine leadership Let's see if I have it. I do have it. He said, divine leadership, when, it, it's, when it's correct, makes life better for everyone under their influence. Divine leadership, when it's correct, makes life better for everyone under their influence. Improper leadership is self-serving. Divine leadership. And I begin to reflect and think about the leaders that we have here. And from my perspective, from what I see, I feel very blessed. Because when I look at the leaders that we have here, that's how I see that they endeavor to live their lives. To make life better for everyone under their influence. We don't have any self-serving leaders that are, that are seeking position that are seeking attention, that are seeking spotlight, the spotlight. But ones that are saying, how can we better serve God's people? And I believe that's important. When you have leaders, you know, Jesus said, those who desire to be the greatest leader must be the greatest what? Greatest servant. And he, he, he demonstrated that. He modeled that. The world does it different. But Jesus' model is the greatest lever, lever, greatest lever, the greatest leader must be the greatest servant. And when I look at our leaders, that's what I, that's what I see. Not perfection, but I see men and women who are humble, who love God, who love people. And again, not that it's been perfect by any means. But it's important to have leadership that you trust. You know, think about this. Jesus gave gifts to the church, fivefold ministry, for the equipment of the saints to do the work of the ministry. If you don't trust the fivefold ministry, then you're not going to allow yourself to be open to that instruction, to that equipping. Correct? You know, people, I had someone ask me this not too long ago, been a few months back. Where in the Bible does it say I have to go to church? Anybody ever heard that question before? And typically when that, that now that, that question can be sincere, but typically when I've heard it, the context is, I've already made up my mind, I don't have to go, and the Bible doesn't say I have to either. So where does it say I have to go to church? The Bible doesn't say you have to go to church. Or I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger either. So no, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And a person can be born again and fully disengage from the body of Christ and go to heaven when they die. I believe that. Going to church 
is not your entrance into salvation, entrance into heaven. So you can not go to church, not be with believers, and be a Christian. Now, do you want to be a mature Christian? Do you want to be a Christian that's fully receiving uh, training and equipping to be effective to run in the calling that you have? In that case, then it is imperative, it is required that you are with the body of believers. You cannot separate yourself from the body and be fully equipped and fully powerful and fully effective. Because Jesus gave gifts to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints. So if you disengage yourself from that process, then who's going to equip you? You say, well, it's just between me and Jesus. But Jesus is the one who gave the gifts to the church. The only time a person can be totally isolated or separated from the body and still grow is in extreme situations when, when they're, maybe they're being persecuted and they're in prison or they're on a deserted light or, or something. But in those situations, God's going to give grace and God's going to do what he needs to do to help and, and minister to those people. Right? But those are extreme cases. That is not our case here. So if you want to, if you want to grow in your calling, if you want to be effective, the only way that's going to happen is to be with believers. You know, people say, I want minister. I want to, I want to minister. We'll serve. A lot of times when people say, well, I want to minister, I want to minister, they're wanting a title. They're wanting recognition. Because if a person, a lot of times what you notice is people who, they're doing something, they're doing ministry without a title. They're just doing it because it's coming out of them. You notice them, it's like, wow, look at that person. They just teach. They just It just oozes out of them. And you say, hey, I suspect you might be a teacher. Instead of someone saying, can you give me a title of being a teacher? Well, do it first. Do it. Finish reading this. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. Then we will no longer be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, if you look at this whole context, you see that it's in relationship. It's all about relationship. It's about a body of people, a body of believers working together. Because it says every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. So as I said earlier, you need for you to walk and to grow in maturity and walk in the fullness. You need the person next to you, the person behind you, the person in front of you. Because you need their gifts. You need them operating in their gifts so they can minister to you and encourage you and challenge you. So that you can begin to grow and develop. Also, 
in relationship with one another, learning to get along, learning to endure, learning to put up with, so to speak, learning to walk in love with a group of people that you may not have anything in common with. Have you ever had a time when maybe you had a wonderful quiet time with the Lord and you had wonderful worship and you read the word and it was just so rich and it's like, man, and, and he was talking, maybe he was challenging you on loving people and, and you just felt so good. It's like, man, God, you're so awesome. And yes, I'm going to love people better and I'm going to honor you this way. And then after you finish your quiet time, then you get around people. And it's like you forgot all about what the Lord talked to you about. <laughs> Anybody ever had that? I mean, you're grumpy with your kids, you're yelling at your wife. It's like, man, life stinks. You guys all stink. You know, life would be great without, you know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> See, we think that just spending time with him makes it happen. Okay, Lord, you told me I'm good. He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> He's, I'm giving you instruction. Now I'm about to give you an opportunity for application. And guess where that application comes from? Being around people. And see, then people are a litmus test to gauge where you are as far as maturity in Christ. If you can't stand people, (laughs) never mind. But I can say, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm good. I'm loving. I'm humble. I'm, I'm mature. I'm all these wonderful things. Well, you'll see if that's true as soon as you're around people, especially the people that that maybe rub you the wrong way. And so it's important that we walk together, we work together, we minister, we love one another. We endeavor to walk together. That's how we're going to grow. That's how we're going to become more mature. You know, and thinking about all this, I... Um, where we are as a church, where we're going, what God's doing. There's a lot going on. I recognize, I've recognized for a long time that I am called the fivefold ministry. I may not understand which one. You know, people have accused me of being an evangelist. I've been accused of that. And I can agree with that to a certain extent. Because from my understanding, an evangelist is somebody, when you're around an evangelist, they just breathe, eat, and sleep, souls, lost people. And they're just so good at it and thinking about how to win people to Jesus. And they're excited about it. A person gets saved, I mean, you might as well have given them a million dollars. They are just fired up and passionate. And I've been thinking, this has been for years. I've been thinking, what makes me passionate? What fires me up? What gets me excited? Now, I love to see a person, when I get the opportunity to lead a person to the Lord, they pray with me, and they're born again. Believe me, I get encouraged, I get fired up, I get excited. But I realize that there's something that excites me even more than that. More than seeing a person born again. Now, obviously, that is the ultimate because then their their destiny, their salvation, their future is sealed with Him. So that's the ultimate, a person being born again because we know they're going to heaven instead of hell. 
But as far as my makeup and, and believe the, the way the grace of God operates in me, there's something that makes me more passionate. And this is what I think about and what I meditate on and what I think. How can we do this more effectively? More than seeing a person get born again, what excites me is seeing a, mature, a Christian become more mature. Seeing a Christian begin to walk in their calling. To see a Christian grab a hold of and realize God has a purpose for me. And he or she begins to walk in that calling. When a Christian begins to spend time with Jesus and get in his word and their lives begin to change. When someone applies, man, God taught me this and I applied it and it made a difference. That's what fires me up. So I may see a person, lead a person to the Lord and say, praise God, you're in. Now it's time to get busy. And to see that person going from a baby to an infant, to a toddler, to a young adult, to an adult, that's what I get excited about. And I'm excited because I see that happening. I see people around me changing. I see people around me growing. And I was talking to my wife the other night. I said, that's why I get, now I understand why I'm so frustrated with certain people. Just gets on my nerves. I'm going to smack a knot on their head. When I see them not cooperating with God's process of Him maturing them, that frustrates me. It's like if you would just get it, then you can grow. Because see, when you grow, that's going to benefit me. It's going to benefit me. But see, it, it mature Christians, Christians maturing in Christ... I believe it's one of the ultimate glories for the king. See, immature Christians are like one of the biggest black eyes to Jesus. Because the immature Christians are the ones that the world points to and say, she's a Christian? Or he's a Christian? I want to be, I want that? No, I don't think so. Because immature Christians say one thing and live another thing. And that's not what we want, is it? We want to say one thing and live, model, be one thing. And I just want to say I am extremely excited about what's going on. And you know this whole thing about this John Jacobs power force outreach? I've been thinking about this too. What am I excited about this thing? What about this really excites me? And some of you say, well, 800 people getting saved. Hmm. What excites me, and I've been thinking about this, and that's why I'm excited about 10 churches working together. Because, see, you can get 800 people saved without it, without 10 churches. I mean, you hear me? It doesn't take 10 churches to come together to get 800 people saved. The message can be preached, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds respond to the gospel and are born again. That doesn't take 10 churches. But what I'm excited about is those 800 people getting into the churches so they can grow into Christ. And then so those 800 people begin to reach out to people as well. So I see 800 effective servants of the king. But the process of 10 churches working together, building and raising up these these infants...
this thing that we're about to participate in, I believe it's going to, I believe it's, it's significant. The attitude of the pastors in town has changed. I was talking to a brother the other day and he, he shared something with me that surprised me. Does any, is anybody in here, does anybody remember when we brought Luis Palau into Stillwater? Anybody remember that? It was many years ago. From what I understand, it wasn't really an effective, it wasn't that effective. I don't know, I'm not saying nobody got saved, but I don't remember if that happened. I'm, I'd be willing to bet that some did. But I remember that it really wasn't effective. And as I was talking to this brother, back then I served as a youth pastor, so I wasn't in with the pastors as they had meetings. They came together uh, and were talking about, well, putting on this event. And this one brother that was sharing with me, I guess he went as a representative for his pastor. So he was in this meeting with other pastors. And he shared something with me that, that really shocked me. But it encouraged me because it gave me a snapshot of where we were and where we are. And he said that it was these pastors and they broke out and began to argue over where the people, which church they're going to be going to and everything. In other words, as the people got saved, how they were going to divide the people up. They were fighting over the people going to which church. Isn't that sad? But that's a sad reality. And when he said that, I mean, it kind of hurt my heart, but it encouraged me because the pastors that I've been working with these last number of weeks, that is not even close to what's happening. There is no jockeying for position. There is no, you know, amongst these pastors, there's only one that's younger than me. The rest of them are older than me and even significantly. Some of them are significantly. They don't tell them I told you that. They might take issue with that. But what encourages me, God is doing something. God's been doing something in Stillwater for quite some time. There is a level of unity amongst the churches here that is not normal in other communities. And here are these pastors I've been, I've been sharing with them. Here's what's going on. Here's the opportunity that God has given us. Do you want to join us with this, for this endeavor? And as they pray and they seek the Lord to see if it's something he wants, and they check with the leadership and they say, yes, CJ, we're in. What can I do? What can I do to help? And here are these men, many of them who have been in ministry longer than I have by far. They're saying, how can we help? What do we need? How can we serve? And it just blesses me. And that's why I believe that we're on the verge of something wonderful. I don't know how this thing's going to play out. This, this John Jacobs deal is going to play out. I can tell you it's been the most scary thing that I've ever been involved in. It's been the biggest thing I've been involved in. It's been the most stressful, but at the same time receiving the most grace. The grace. And there's times when I battle. It's like, Lord, are you sure? How's this going to work out? I don't know if this is going to... And I start worrying about, what if nobody shows up? Because you realize that is a possibility. Do you realize that? There's a possibility that that we're it. You know, 2,500 seats, and we're the only ones that show up. And start worrying about that. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But then I realize, wait a minute. Is my job, is my responsibility to get the people there? Or is it my responsibility to do what I believe he's called me to? And trust, 
that he will do his part. And you know one scripture that he encouraged me with? You remember when he told Noah to build the ark? You realize there was a whole bunch of animals that needed to get on that thing? Imagine Noah going out there, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Can you imagine how difficult that would be trying to round up all those animals? But see, he partnered with God. God said, you do what I tell you to do, and you leave the rest to me. Who brought the animals to the ark? Who did? God did. All of a sudden, they began to come. At times when I stress over this thing, thinking, man, we need more than 10 churches, 2,500 people, 800 decisions, I started getting overwhelmed, started getting nervous, scared, waking up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom and can't go back to sleep because the tape recorder is going on and on. Anybody ever experienced that before? But it's like, you know what? God, regardless of the results, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to continue to walk in obedience. And I'm going to continue to do what I believe you're telling me to do. And that's all he calls us to do is obedience. He calls us to be obedient. And I believe he's calling us as a body to believe in his system. The body of Christ. To trust his system. And to engage. To engage. And I want to encourage you to engage. Don't be a passive spectator. But engage in the family of his body. You know, we're a local family. There's many local families here in Stillwater. We're one of them. What are you doing to engage? Are you intentionally linking up with people here? Are you intentionally linking up in relationship? We need each other, folks. And you can even make it a a righteous, selfish thing. In other words, realizing that I'm not going to be able to grow unless I'm in a relationship with you. I need you. I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your encouragement. I need your ideas. I need your input. I need your gifts, your gift mix. Without that flowing... And coming together, we're not going to have what God wants us to fully have. And you senior saints, you golden ones, the ones who've been running a race for a long time, you notice all these young people in the congregation, these young families? They need you desperately. They really need you. And I hope you guys realize that. You guys that are younger than, let's say younger than 40. Ooh, that puts me on the wrong side. (laughs) Those of you who are younger than 40, you need our senior brothers and sisters. And I'm not just saying that to be nice, to be cute, to be quaint. You need, if you want maturity in your life, if you want wisdom in your life, I encourage the older saints to grab a hold, reach out and grab a hold of the younger ones. Build relationships. Younger ones, I encourage you to go after them. Say, hey, can we spend some time together? Can I take you out to lunch? And see, that's what I, that's what I, I don't know where it came from, but at a year, early Christian age, I began to grab a hold of older brothers and sisters. And I've benefited wonderfully because of that. 
There are pitfalls and pits and, and mistakes. Now, I've made plenty of my own mistakes, but there are things that I've avoided because I've listened to wisdom. We really need each other. And when we begin to engage on that kind of level, instead of the younger ones saying, well, I don't need the old people. They're old and outdated and don't even know how to do iPhones. <laughs> and the older people saying, no, I don't need those young people. They're young and loud. But when we realize, you know what? God wants us to walk in relationship with one another. And imagine, imagine what not only this church would look like, but imagine what this community would look like when young saints are getting a hold of and embracing the wisdom of older saints. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine the effect that would have. So all I'm saying is we need each other. Let's engage. Let's run together. And the last thing I want to say, I want to end on this note. How we need to serve one another. And that's one of the biggest things. God has called us all to be leaders in his kingdom. And we need to realize that the greatest leader must become the greatest servant. We must serve. We must serve each other. I challenge and encourage you to engage God and say, God, how can I serve your people? There are practical ways on Sunday morning. There are many practical ways. We're going to have a meeting with the parents in a little bit. Where we need the parents to come alongside and engage and serve the children. I believe the children's ministry is going to explode. It's going to boom. We're going to turn around and there's going to be a bunch of kids back there. Bunch and bunch and bunch. Some of the kids come from families that aren't even born again, aren't even saved. And we'll have the opportunity to impact the young ones. But the people who are serving right now in those areas, they can't do it alone. And so I want to encourage your heart. Say, God, how can I serve? And here's a way to find out. Get in relationship and notice needs. And then begin to do stuff about it. As you're in relationship with a sister, brother, or whatever, and you notice they have need, you notice maybe it's a, it's a single mom and she has these, these children, she has children, and she seems tired and everything, and you notice, hmm, I know how we can serve them. Why don't we give her a once a week mommy time out? And they say, hey, why don't you bring your kids by our house on Thursday between this time? Me and my wife or me and my husband will take care of the kids and you just go do whatever. Do you think that'd be meeting a need? Or speaking of singles, those of you who are married, why don't you begin to notice we have quite a few singles in this church. I was, I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised how many. Learn who they are and begin to invite them in your family. Say, hey, we're going to Mazio's. Or, hey, we're going to this place. Or, hey, we're having some people over for dinner and just cards and fun and games. You want to come? Ministering, loving one another. You know, last year I thought, I kept saying, man, we're going to grow, we're going to grow. I realized the timing was off. But here's what's in my spirit. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. 
And if we don't all play our part and see how we can serve and come together and just begin to love each other, then it's going to be overwhelming. The growth is going to be overwhelming because it's going to be, it's going to be just a bunch of people that we have to deal with and put up with and we're going to miss the whole thing. But if we're learning to love one another, learning to serve one another, learning to minister to and build up each other, then when all these people start coming in, it's going to be more opportunity for them to come into an environment where they see people walking in love towards one another. And they say, wow, this is what I've been missing. This is what I've been looking for. The two things that I believe are going to attract people to this church, His presence and your love for each other. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would show us how to apply this, how we can be more intentional, how we can engage in your body, in your process of maturity in our lives. I thank you for the people here. for what they're allowing you to do in their lives. I thank you for the hunger that is in this place, hunger for your presence, hunger for more of your kingdom operating in and through our lives. And Lord, I thank you that you are showing us how to strategically and intentionally and practically how to work together and move forward, how to come into alignment I thank you that you are showing us and leading us. Lord, we believe you are leading us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the transition that's going on, the changes in people's lives individually, in families, and corporately as a body. We embrace that transition, Father. But we also embrace you, Holy Spirit, so you can help lead us through the transition so we don't get stuck in the transition. We love you, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.